Before I begin the episode, I want to give a content warning. We will be discussing the BBC documentary on Johnny Kitagawa and his history of sexual abuse of the idols in his agency. We don't get into graphic detail at all. No details. Um, I don't... uh, Yeah, we don't play that game. But we will be discussing the documentary and you know, the themes. So if, if that's something that's upsetting to you, either skip this episode or I'll put a timestamp in the episode description and I'll also put it in the show notes. And that way you can skip ahead to where we switch topics and begin talking more about sort of idols and idol culture generally. So you have a couple options there. And um, for people that are going to be listening you know, I just want to emphasize that although my guest and I do, you know, we we do joke around a bit and we get a bit lighthearted in this episode, but please, please, please understand that neither of us are Johnny's truthers. Um, this history of sexual abuse goes back to the 1960s, uh, and I can put a sort of timeline of allegations uh, that were that were uh, printed in both books and articles. Um, I translated a bit of Kita Koji from The Four Leaves, his, his first book, um, where he, he discusses his own grooming and abuse. Uh, and then his second book, um, which was released afterwards, basically the entire bulk of like the middle section of the book is just stories that former Johnnies um, had sent into him about what had happened to them. It's very tough reading, and I don't think anybody can can read that material uh, and walk away with anything but just the, the heaviest heart for what these young men went through and what they endured. So, you know, even though we are trying to make things, you know, amusing for you to listen to at certain parts, we, please believe me, we take this subject very very seriously and you know my heart just breaks for for what those young men went through and our complaint is not with the fact that there was a documentary on sexual abuse in the entertainment industry but that it was such a poor quality documentary and and really these these young men deserve better so on that note there's nothing sacred now you told all your lies Your soul is naked now I've seen through your eyes I've seen your eyes And there's nothing sacred now There's nothing sacred now It is a bigger thing To know why you've done And with this bigger skin Uh, 
Um, yeah, and if you know how I do these, I just kind of cut in randomly and then... <laughs> Have you actually listened to any of the episodes? I think I've listened to one a long time ago, and it was, okay. like, really, really good. Okay, good. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you do good stuff. The <laughs> produced ones that you had with Patrick were, like, really fun. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I tried to get him back to talk about the Johnny's documentary, but he was like, ugh, I already talked about it for the Japan Times, and I'm documentaried out, which, you know, fair enough. I feel like... Very fair. Yeah. Very fair. <laughs> Unless you are very SJWE, which I I self-describe myself that way, right? Um, I think it becomes a conversation of like, why are we talking about this so much? Yeah, well, I'm well. This is good then because I'm very much not SJWE, so I think that'll be like a nice contrast of of mm. uh, yeah, 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 yeah. But but I I also agree like. Because yeah. <laughs> it is kind of funny, like, well, number one, like, why are we talking about this now? And then, it, but also, I feel like we are talking about it. So clearly, there's something there people are interested in, you know? Yeah. And I also think, so there's a lot of questions as to people being like, why are we talking about this now? Why are we talking about this now? And I think they kind of buried the lead at the end when they're like, oh, Johnny says that they're doing this, like, whole reorg restructure thing that they're going to unveil in 2023 and i'm like wait why didn't you guys just follow up on that like uh, yeah, that's actually okay. not a bad answer i would have literally <laughs> been like okay like who are the third party independent people that you guys are bringing up like no, okay this is exactly what i want to touch on so before we like get into the weeds um i think we should open the podcast with a song yeah uh, did you have something picked out? I would say for this one, let's use Arashi's monster because <laughs> <laughs> they had it in the documentary and I was like, man, classic banger. <laughs> All right. And it is available on YouTube now. So I will link to the video in the show notes. So yeah. uh, let's stick that in here.
with Monster. One of uh, yeah. Although I guess we could have the gone with peach. the uh, the Shingo Yamapi monsters. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the Idol Cast. And I'm here with a very special guest today to talk about the Johnny's documentary. Um, And would you like to introduce yourself? Hello. I go by a variety of different names on the internets. Uh, Mostly people know me as Hannah from the Nanta Japan podcast. Now I have like a fortnightly thing I do with Ducky um, on VTuber stuff. And glad to be here. Thanks for having me. So that's really interesting that you also started with Arashi because I got junbaited with Hanayori Dengo. Uh, yes, same! <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, when I first started watching like dramas, um, I just... I didn't, you know, I listened to the songs and like I knew he was in this group, Arashi, and I would find like the little mm-hmm. clips because this was pre-YouTube, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you'd find like random clips or, but I didn't really know about the um, like concert videos or um, the variety shows. Um, I didn't really know about all that stuff until a little bit later when I hooked into Live Journal and like got into all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Live Journal was like... I'm guessing you're also probably like late twenties, early thirties, right? Because oh that's gosh. me too. <laughs> no, and about, I can always tell because I'm about I was 10 talking years to older. <laughs> but I'll take the compliment. Like, yeah. Well, well, I didn't want to guess too old. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. I yes. am. I'm the the, I the am auntie. Midway. Everyone's auntie. Um. But yeah, the, but yeah, no. You get hooked into Live Journal, and then you could find the yeah. content. And but I will say, like, I I am pretty sure this was like one of the first things I came across looking into like Johnny and like Johnny's was like the sexual abuse allegations. I think it was probably because so I was talking to I don't know if you know Joe. Um he goes by the Twitter handle at Sneak and he writes this side of Japan. Uh the the really, really fantastic newsletter about Japanese music. And I was talking to him and his exact wording was there seems to be only two types of Johnny Sands. There are the ones who came in during like what we, what you and I would consider like the Johnny's golden age, right? So that's like Smap to Katun, Heisei yeah. Jumpish. Yeah, yeah. And then there are the people who came in after King Imprints. There's nothing in between, right? So either you got in before 2007 or you got in after 2020. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, because like, think about the groups that you're talking about. You're literally talking about Basically, the timing between all of Johnny's, like, major hits, right? And when we got in pre-2007, that was right on the heels of the big, big Bunshin piece that they talk about. Right, because that libel suit went into, like, 2004. Yes, yes. So, yeah, so the, the big boom of fans coming in after 2020 yeah and i mm-hmm. think they wouldn't necessarily have known all of this i oh, guess yeah. but definitely if you came in sort of earlier or were hanging around in fan spaces i mean i think it was pretty common knowledge at least among english language fans and i'm pretty sure 
Japanese language fans as well. So on that note, it was actually particularly hilarious because I have quite a few like church friends. I'm very active at my church. And I mentioned just offhand, hey, like, you know, I'm going to go and see a Johnny's group in Washington, D.C. And my I call her kind of like my church mom essentially. Um, she is this amazing woman that I know. She's a Japanese woman in her, she just turned 50. And she was just like, did you watch the documentary? And I was like, oh yeah, 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 I saw it. And she's like, it's so funny. Like, do Westerners not know this? Every Japanese person my age knows it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, lols. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was, I, I don't know. The framing of the documentary was just so bizarre, but we can, yeah. So, okay. So the, the documentary for anyone who hasn't seen it or hasn't been following the uh, discourse. So it was a BBC television, like a one hour television special mm -hmm. hosted by this journalist, um, Mobin Azar, I think was the name. Yeah. 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 And it, the way that it, it's set up is he kind of parachutes into Tokyo spends two weeks or so um, running around trying to get anyone to give lurid details of their sexual abuse to his cameras and or it looks like he did an afternoon in uh, Shibuya like over mm -hmm. by like over by the Shibuya scramble like asking people what they knew about Johnny Kitagawa and sort of cobbled it together into this hour-long documentary that does no real research into who Johnny is or what Johnny's do or even what idols are or what uh, you know who these idols are it, it was just a very strange framing that to my eyes anyway um and maybe I'm just being cynical but it mm -hmm. just seemed like he wanted people to give graphic accounts of their sexual abuse to the camera and maybe cry that's all he wanted I think my biggest issue was that um, when people went into a little bit too much detail as to like what happened to them, which is understandable. I think for all, maybe like one or two of the victims, it might've been the first time that they had ever gotten to properly speak to anybody about this. Um, he just let them like ramble and he doesn't cut it out. Even though he could edit. He kept pushing for more detail, too, which made me very uncomfortable as a viewer. And I, mm -hmm. I, and I yeah, I don't know. Like, there was the one sequence with, um, and this was actually, I was really shocked because he was one of my favorite juniors, um, which was Takahashi Ryu, who was part of They Budo, um, which were an elite uh, backing group. And they, you know, they worked for Arashi, they worked for, mm -hmm. um, they worked with Yara, um, who, you know, that's pretty, pretty high praise. Yeah. Um, and they were, you know, they were on Shonen Club. Like, I, I really liked them. They were, you know, this elite group and, and they were legitimately one of the, the groups I look forward to on Shonen Club and stuff. And, and I remember when he left and he was working as a dance instructor for a while and, I guess it now looks like he might run his own bar. And yeah. when I saw, like, on rewatching a second time, you know, I had a little more time to sort of sit and, and take things in. And I'd wondered if maybe he did this as a little way to promote himself or his brand or something. You know, I don't know what he was thinking when he agreed to, to speak. But it, he looked very uncomfortable. And 
to me at times it looked like he might almost be tearing up um just from the pressure I, yeah. I don't know it was he looked very very uncomfortable and and to have Mo Bean there in his little mock turtleneck d- pressing for more details more details more details with this guy that he met 30 seconds ago they don't speak the same language um it just felt there's clearly like no very or anything none yeah yeah and it's just like you know this is the kind of thing where like you don't okay so the fact that he discovers the the johnny's like fan wikipedia essentially oh, wow. yeah. like during the trip just kind of told me how much uh how much like research they did because i'm just like you know like fans do this for groups all the time like and you guys decided to to do these interviews with people literally that you met through email. And it's clear, like, I think the victims do need some time to, like, process what happened to them and to understand, like, I remember he was like, it's so weird that they all seem to have this, like, reverence for Johnny still. And I'm like, have you talked to power harassment abuse victims before? Like, this is how they think. I don't necessarily want to pathologize it, but to a certain extent, like, it is a very complicated thing. They also speak with uh, an, an, a much more recent junior who left in yeah. 2019 and he's very young the host the yeah. host who works in osaka and you know he his in his mind you could just tell this was kind of you know that that he and the juniors had joked about it you know like yeah. oh yeah if johnny came on to me sure totally because then i'd get to be this big star and the way mobin sort of phrased it he's like i've never seen somebody so callous about the casting couch but if you're a longtime Johnny's fan, I mean, all that said to, to me was that, yeah, because Johnny was el- elderly, you know, he wasn't an active threat. So the kids could joke about it because this wasn't something, this wasn't like this immediate danger. And um, if, if Mobin had done his research, he would have had all the lurid details he wanted if he'd gone back to, to like the 80s. <laughs> yeah, with the Hikaru Genji. Like. Yeah, the, um, yeah, so... Um, I, yeah, so I translated a little bit of, um, Kita Koji, who was in The Four Leaves, his book. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. 
Akita Koji, um, one of the original members of the Four Leaves, and get this, which you know you wouldn't know unless you read his book. But he—that's not his real name. He took his stage name from uh, Johnny Kitagawa. He's Kita Koji um, because uh, he had been. It, I mean, I don't want to call it wasn't an affair, but he, you know, he had been a young teenager in Tokyo really wanted to join the music business and um Johnny had kind of taken him under his wing and here's this kid who'd essentially run off to Tokyo he was like 16 years old and this handsome older guy who's working with this successful group is like hey do you want to be a star <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> would you like to not sleep on a you know floor cold floor and you know have to to be a roadie for some guys like yeah sure and so then as he lays out in the book that you know it became clear pretty soon what Johnny wanted from him mm -hmm. um, which was his body and um, he goes into graphic detail in the book about it um, I will not do that here but you which know. is why the book was uh i mean it was popular for a number of reasons but it was also yeah. one of the first times that they talked about it yeah but it's yeah. also just like i think there's the issue that the casting couch is kind of like a thing that unfortunately happens a lot among idol companies in general i just remember there was this one scandal with this one underground idol group where like an idol's mom even joked that like she was probably sleeping with the manager and i was like how open is this that like your own mother makes this joke <laughs> but it's yeah it's something that i think it's and it's not just in japan this happens in, yeah it's all over it's, the world and it's not just idols you know it happens look at the harvey weinstein um yeah allegations that came out you know it's in you know i i like to go back to the um you know cory feldman um all of his allegations in hollywood um the the documentary in open secret mm -hmm. um which goes into detail about um men like brian singer the director so i mean this is something that happens in the entertainment industry um, generally it's not yeah. unique it's not unique to Japan by any means it's not unique to the idol industry and it's certainly not like a gay thing this isn't yeah and I think that Mobin um, in his documentary did not like he he made it seem like this was just this unique outlier serial predator with no context for literally anything else and to me that really rankled especially hearing him say like why hasn't anyone done anything about it and like my dude you're from the bbc who covered for <laughs> jimmy savile for like 50 years so why don't you look in the mirror there buddy like it was just <laughs> so hypocritical yeah it was so funny there was that one line where he was like you know you see this with men everywhere and he just like lists off a bunch of what's <laughs> western names and you know he's trying to not <laughs> say jeremy Seville. jimmy Seville, I jimmy think. jimmy savile yeah yeah and i'm just like my guy and the other thing was like the bunshin reporter kind of feeding him like oh yeah 
Okay, I I have a love hate relationship for Bunshin. I'm gonna be completely frank. I do well, let's just, meet them all the time. Let's just get something clear, which he did not specify in the documentary. Was that Bunshin is a tabloid? So okay, but like I am, I am a big fan of Bunshin. So I'm yeah. gonna be really frank. Like okay. Bunshin does and is pretty critical to Japan's what's known as like press freedom. Like if you read The Economist and you read in between the lines, you can kind of tell that the way the rest of the world views um, Japan's press freedom is literally on the ability of Bunshin to publish about political scandals, right? Yeah. So on one hand, that's the only way that we kind of know about like political dirt, right? It all comes from Bunshin. A lot of the major papers just won't touch it until like a Bunshin or a Saizo reports on it first. But then on the other hand, this Bunshin reporter exactly knew what uh, Mobian was looking for. And so when he was like, well, you know, we were locked out by everybody else for like 23 years. I was like, fucking cap. <laughs> you guys were locked out way before then. And also there was a diet session on this. Like screw the rest of the press. Like there was an actual diet session called about pedophilia in the entertainment business that was shut down due to external pressure that was not just from Johnny's alone. And that's in, that's in the English Wikipedia page. Right, and that's so, where it's like Mobin did zero research yeah. into the industry, into Johnny himself, and you know a lot of the most interesting things. He just he just either I mean clearly he doesn't know about them. I mean, you know, first of all, he you know he's like the the allegations go back thirty years. Like, well, no, they go back. Like to the literally to the (laughs) sixties, yeah. But they really exploded in the eighties with the Kita Koji book, and then um, something I found out today, just kind of digging around, was um, apparently there was another magazine called Focus that published some nude photos um, of uh, Toshi-chan, Tahara Toshihiko, who was Mm -hmm. part of the Tanakin trio. And these nude nude Polaroid photos were allegedly taken by Johnny. And so, you know, this was 1989. At a very young age, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, like, this is 1989. Uh, a member of the original Johnny's also published something. I mean, you know, these allegations were out there. Um, they, for decades. For basically. decades like everyone, decades. Everyone knew about it. And it's not to dismiss it. I actually do think that there were so many interesting questions that Mobin could have raised that mm-hmm. would have still been thematically correct. Like, quite frankly, Japanese politicians are incredibly powerful. For those of you guys who are not aware of how the political world works, like, basically, it's to the point where, like, I forget the exact term, but politicians, consultants, and, like, lobbyists, right? They form what's known as, I forget if the exact term is like iron triangle or heavenly triangle, but basically it's very, very difficult to fire a bureaucrat, right? And yet when they wanted to engage on the session of like, not just particularly focusing on Johnny's, but like the broader Japanese media entertainment in general, they had to shut down, which means that a bunch of politicians were up 
probably also in on this game. Also, the issue of um, you know organized crime, which has strong ties to the entertainment industry, you know, not just in Japan but um, literally all over the world, all over like, the world. And it's like for you, you Americans, <laughs> we also do this too. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where like you start picking at the scab, you know, who knows what what is gonna come out. Just in Korea, you had the um, Burning Sun scandal. And um, that, again, which appeared to, um, it it just was one of those things where, like, clearly there was more going on than we were let in on, you know, in the, well, especially in the English language media, but, but yeah. They just basically decided, hmm. okay, so we're going to throw Sangri in jail and then let everyone else go. And I'm like... (laughs) what (laughs) yeah and i don't like that does not buy property without watching knowing first off and like second of all like he literally had foreign political ties like what happened to that yeah it's just one of those things where like we see the very tip of the iceberg and there's mm-hmm. a lot more underneath. And if and if Mobin or any of these, you know, he wanted a real juicy um, report, like that was there. Like the all the pieces are there. Um, but this, what he did, like these allegations have been around. Most people who are interested know about them. But you know, it's like he was talking to people in. Um, it looked like it looked like Shibuya, like by the Shibuya scramble, yeah. and just average people on the street and like there was the one woman who was like well yeah but johnny's gone so (laughs) like does it really matter anymore and honestly like and maybe you've heard different but at least Mm -hmm. what i'm aware of is that you know that wasn't like an institutional culture of abuse um and like if you watch them and there was just this menudo documentary that came out which was excellent a four-part series really really good and it kind of goes into the fact that like so edgardo diaz also kind of the serial abuser but mm-hmm. i think the difference um at least what came across to me was that like edgardo like the way that he ran menudo it it built up this culture of other people that were also taking advantage of these young men mm-hmm. and at least as far as i've heard and i could be wrong um i 
you don't hear that about Johnny's. I think it's less as to like whether or not we do or don't hear about it. But like, what if there's another powerful manager who appears in the agency and is able to take advantage of it? And what steps have already been taken? Because yeah. he kind of mentions it in passing, but, you know, um, sort of sexual assault between two men wasn't illegal until 2017. And to me, that's a pretty important point because, you know, he, he Mobin goes off like, oh, how come after these articles were published, the police didn't open an investigation? And I'm thinking, like, what are they going to charge him with? Like, there's nothing illegal happening, technically. Well, so in Japan, even though he wouldn't have been charged with um, sexual harassment, he would have been charged probably with power harassment, which is actually illegal. And there's also the fact that, like, so what happened, I believe it was, like, 2017 or afterwards, was that there was actually a very similar scandal that happened at another agency. And uh, the former Kara member, like, her Japanese agency, I remember translating the Bunshin article on this. That's actually why, like, I knew exactly Mm. what had gone on. But I was just like, oh, like, you know, they're talking about like this scandal. And this is one of the many things that was the reason that preempted this like change yeah. to their law. That this, among many other things, you know, they thought had gone on for too long. Right? Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that like if he'd done some real research before landing in Tokyo, like this is the kind of thing that I think is a lot more interesting than getting graphic accounts of what happened. Sexual abuse, yeah. Which, (laughs) honestly, like, re-watching it, I'm not going to lie, I skipped over those parts. Like, they made me very uncomfortable. And uh, It was very exploitative in a way that I think anybody watching it would have, like, kind of understood. There was a point at which, because, quite frankly, like, I had read recaps of it, but I was like, oh, well... I had invited for a podcast. I must watch through everything. So I watched (laughs) it on two times speed. Yeah. And I was just like, there's so much like othering of Japan. Oh, well, that too. We can get into that because let's just say, so not only do they use like Travel Channel 101 shots of Tokyo, um, (laughs) but he's painting as sinister these absolutely normal things like... He shows like a um, an advertisement of Kimutako, and I'm pretty sure I saw the same one. Like <laughs> when I, because I was just in Japan in December 2022, and um, you know, of Kimutako advertising McDonald's, and it's like the sinister, like you would expect musicians to advertise their albums, but Johnny's talents were advertising everything and it's like here's Kimutaka Rihanna Rihanna does that all the time (laughs) and I'm like oh wow a musician has never advertised for McDonald's before like you know like BTS literally just had like their McDonald's meals and you know it's just like yeah is that sinister too like it's called advertising my man and then oh it was just bizarre like and and you know if you walk around Tokyo are you gonna see Johnny's idols um, in December, yeah, because every konbini is having their Christmas cake or like the um, Christmas fried chicken or whatever. Like, yeah, they have like King and Prince like advertising or Naniwa Danshi like advertising Christmas cakes. 
but like it's not a plot like <laughs> like they're advertising <laughs> to young women like because they like nanny wadanchi like it doesn't it's not sinister it's just advertising like i mean i guess advertising can be sinister but it's not like some weird plot where there's like a Johnny's like popping it out at every corner. Like it's, I don't know. It's just very strange. Like he just seemed to have no cultural awareness of what was normal and like what was, I, I don't know. What was it, weird. Yeah. Or what was weird. And then did you notice too that, so like in some of the crowd shots, they definitely would pick out like the, um the girls who were dressed up. Like there was one, they like the camera follows just like this girl um and she's wearing like not quite like an alice dress but close and then she had like a purse that was like a duck i think i, I mean she looked cute but it was one of those like ooh wacky like harajuku's fashion like shots. weird japan kind of yeah. stuff and yeah. i'm just like why would you do this i think it was so strange because quite frankly i was waiting for a proper proper documentary to be done on this issue not specifically johnny's but just like the way people are just so blasé about the casting couch Mm. um in entertainment and to a very real extent they still kind of are Mm. uh for asia in particular right we're like there's this weird gray ground of like you need to make your sponsors happy and that sense of like, well, what constitutes like a proper, a proper like sponsor interaction is just never specified. And they're like, you know, you might get really lucky and it might just be somebody who just wants to like talk to you for three hours or you might get super unlucky and you literally have to deal with a predator, right? Like that's just never specified. Well, I I think it also, you know, it ties back to something that is kind of uncomfortable to think about in 2023. But, you know, there are longstanding ties, um, not only to criminal underground, you know, Yakuza, Mafia. And I I spent a lot of time um, in Bollywood circles and certainly Mm -hmm. organized crime and um, entertainment. there's the tie there, but there's also ties to like prostitution and other kind of unsavory things like going back a long, long time. I mean, I believe yeah. and correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe like even kabuki actors you know, <laughs> were known to be prostitutes. It and- was just kind of how like, I mean, it's not just kabuki, right? Like yeah, ballet, yeah. ballet you as well. Yeah. that like... The way to get ahead was to have a powerful sponsor. And Mm. sometimes that sponsorship came with other things. But I think there's just a lot of like very interesting questions that you could ask. Like when when one of the kids, not kids, but like I forget if it was the person who didn't want to use their name or someone else. But they were like, oh, our parents all knew. They just said just uh oh that bear was with um it. that was junior who was the yeah. um, the former junior who he had written the book oh and okay okay well going back to like mobin just circling around to mobin not understanding things they use this guy's quote at the very beginning just some some interviewee in shibuya but they that he says about johnny like he is god and that you're supposed to think like oh my god whoa he's revered as an actual god but then if you listen to what he actually says he's like 
yeah, um, Johnny, he, you never really saw him, but he kind of made things happen. In English, he says he is God, but in Japanese, like, oh yeah, like, I just don't see that, that, uh, he meant literally we should worship him. To me, it sounded like he was saying he was this off camera figure who seemed omnipotent. I mean, yeah. Am I wrong? And then, like, like, they really respected, like, the stuff that he made, which, quite frankly, like, a lot of people do that, right? There are a lot of people who are just like, oh, these directors and producers are, like, yeah. so powerful. Right. Like, and, and that's people really that cool. are, are, you know, like Roman Polanski or, um, yeah, just like figures who, um, oh, in my last episode, we were talking about Lars von Trier, who have sort of these unsavory reputations or allegations against them but their work you can view it separately or you know maybe you maybe you can't i don't know when I'm just like, like, come on, you know exactly what this kid is saying. Yeah. Like, he is saying, this man made really good stuff. And so if you were a fan, like, he was kind of like this all-powerful figure who made things happen. Right. And that was very cool. And he's not saying literally, we worship him. But I feel like that is the impression. That was the implication. <laughs> right, because of how it was edited and the fact that they used his sort of broken English and it just, that really pissed me off. And he did that a few times, kind of deliberately playing with what the people were saying and just making it seem like uh, that they were saying something that they weren't. Because he did it again with Jin. Um, you know, he plays that song at the end where Akanishi Jin ex cartoon you know released a song like when johnny died about johnny but it's like but it was like it was like he just had no conception that um japanese people can also be ironic like it just never it was like no it has to be 100 percent literal he was in love with johnny kitagawa and i'm like and it's just like, have you never talked to like an expert on stuff like incest and grooming? Like, it's actually really complicated. And one of the ways that it's really complicated is that like, 
afterwards, you still have this like feeling of like, I'm not really sure this is love or something else, but it's, you know, it's something, right? And I'm just like, how do you not realize this? Well, and then also, how do you justify sticking a camera in somebody's face, demanding gory details, and then yelling at them that they're in denial, like to their face? I mean, it's yeah, just... Yeah, it was just like a lack of tact. <laughs> just human feeling. Like, dude, like, you're demanding that they tell you all this personal stuff and then they won't and you just you're in denial this is i can't i'm i'm so frustrated right now like <laughs> and it's just like it, it really made me uncomfortable like it it was just so oh i i don't know just really some of the worst interviewing like i've ever seen of, <laughs> of dealing with people who you know have had trauma or, or or past trauma and then you know he talks to the um the psychologist and he's like well it's a protective um it can be like a protective thing and to me i'm like okay well why would you as a journalist want to rip away that protective band-aid of these men who have hopefully put this behind them why like what is the point here what do you what do you want to get out of these men these lurid details you're ripping this band-aid off ripping away this protective um thing that you know bubble that they've kept themselves in and why for what reason like what do you, what is the point of this you know i think there's also just the fact that like there was no like child abuse expert on their production team mm -hmm. and that was so clear when he exactly to your point that like when he's like oh you're in denial yeah. and and he's just like you he, he keeps on yeah you look like he was gonna cry like i'm sorry watching it a second time and being able to focus i was like you look like he was gonna cry yeah and like just in general even if he regardless of how you took it that is not something that you should say to an abuse victim no <laughs> Like, no. Like, what possesses someone to say that what? to anyone? <laughs> Somebody's on a deadline and then promised their boss, like, some lurid tell-all. They could have just gotten someone to translate Kitakoji's thing and done, like, a dramatic reenactment or something. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, it was just really, really unfortunate. And it didn't, like, his, his total lack, you don't really pissed me off um well i mean not as much as uh him accosting victims <laughs> but, but it was just his his lack of his lack of respect for what it is that these idols actually do you know he never mentions their artistry their art their music the one thing he does say is he's like oh they collaborated with bruno mars which i believe happened after johnny died so i'm like yeah, Johnny was real instrumental in, like, getting that Bruno Mars collab. Like, it, it, you know, it was just one of those things where, like, he doesn't say anything about their their artistry or their art, acting, talents. Um, it, he just implies it's like this casting couch where, you know, you sleep with Johnny and then, whoops, you're a star. Wow, isn't that great? But just nothing about what they actually do. I think it's also, well... For me, I was just like, oh, it like makes sense that he would just never talk about that because I'm kind of used to like Westerners 
kind of dismissing idols entirely, right? If anything, the one nice change that BTS did was that it convinced enough female journalists to like write better stories about it. <laughs> TBD, if that uh, actually remains or um, <laughs> if that's just reserved I don't for... I think they just write them about BTS because um, I have read way too many of them and they're very credulous about everything BTS does but they like to frame those stories as like oh yeah but everyone else sucks <laughs> everyone else is fake and plastic well, but BTS are good Th that's how those stories go when it all seems like it's wrong, sing along to Elton John and to that feeling which is getting started. When the nights get colder and the rhythm starts to fall in behind, just dream about that moment when you look yourself right in the eye. Well, they were a mid-tier group from a mid-tier company. And their big selling point was that they sold themselves directly to the U.S. media. Rather, they, they kind of did an end run around, like, the K-pop media. And I think that was, like, Because, like, big... nobody, nobody in K-pop media gave them the time of day. Yeah. Which, which yeah. Like, yeah, that's... is literally because they were not the big three. Right, they were not the big three. They weren't Starship. They weren't Wulin. But they also weren't. Right. But they also weren't doing anything particularly interesting. Like if you like, a lot of if you. I think their reception yeah. in Korea yeah. kind of implies that they did do something interesting, though. Right? Really? I don't think so. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Like I would not say that I was a particularly like big army. Uh -huh at all yeah um until the pandemic basically but i would say the fact that like korean men liking them in particular is very weird i i that have not seen i have not seen any evidence of of that for so if you look at their listening ratios uh -huh. right bts is the only one that has a disproportionate number of korean men listening that i yeah i would have to i would have to check that because that does that doesn't sound correct to me because big bang i know is quite popular with um yeah with like, like a, big bang yeah. also had success with men yeah and i would say the fact that they both did means that they both had something very interesting to say yeah i would i'd have to to check that but i i feel like they're what do i want to say like they're their big success came from getting the attention of the American media, and they did this by selling what they were doing as unique and special and in opposition to, like, quote-unquote, K-pop. So they sold themselves as being apart from K-pop, even though 
in my opinion anyway they're they're pretty deeply enmeshed in k-pop and remain so i mean i think we just saw jimin going on you know k-pop music shows and like why would you do that if you were not part of k-pop you know so i guess i'm a little bit more like i'm a little bit nicer (laughs) (laughs) i do i do like bts Uh i used to like big band yeah i don't like them anymore um i mean the reason was just previously said um burning sun scandal yeah where i would definitely argue that like bts was unique in that usually somebody from a tier two agency does not become that big and they certainly don't end up becoming like final bidder for somebody like sm right right um something like that does not happen and i think to the extent that they had to like market themselves outside of the k-pop ecosystem yeah that's literally because just like japan if you're not in the in club like you get maybe 30 minutes of airtime on one of the big shows and then that's it right so the fact that they've managed to succeed in spite of all that is very it's very cool that being said i would say that like i don't know i think the writing that i've seen on them is like the only positive writing i've ever seen about idols yeah and maybe this is where me being a little bit older um i i because i do remember seeing very positive writing about a lot of idols back um sort of around that first when that first wave of um like the how you wave hit here in the u.s um so that's like around Gundam style because I remember because I was a big like you know I read um you know ONTD and Gawker and Jezebel and like all those sort of um you know just sites the Onion AV Club and I remember seeing tons and tons of coverage positive very positive coverage of yeah Big Bang Shiny you know so like they like i think my perspective is a little bit different though because i'm korean american so having been korean and growing up with that stuff and seeing how they wrote about it actually felt really disgusting because they would always write about it as like how could this country come up with like these sorts of authentic lyrics and i'm just like fuck you (laughs) like (laughs) Like, what did you think Sotiji was? Well, so then, right? okay. Like, well, so then, how do you feel seeing now these same kinds of writers and same kinds of outlets, um, kind of implying that everything else, other than BTS, is garbage? Well, here's the thing. Like, I never expected them to even give BTS time of okay. day. Okay. So the fact that they're willing to acknowledge that even one is fine mm-hmm. is like. Oh, that's success. <laughs> like, that's amazing. Yeah. Good job. That is 5% in the right direction. <laughs> right? Like, I literally don't expect anything yeah. from these people. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I, and I, I remember reading this shit about yeah. Gangnam Style, and I wanted to actually, like, punch someone when I read what they were saying about it. It was very, like, look at the monkey. <laughs> and you don't feel that right? about like, bts though gross. because 
I don't know. No, because the writers are different. Mm. Like, the writers are different, and they avoid all the monkey tropes. They're not like, look at the Asians with their squinty eyes. Like, look, they managed to produce something, right? They avoid writing in that kind of language. And I'm like, thank you. That is 5% in the right direction. (laughs) (laughs) To me, when I read the coverage of BTS, it it feels like they're singling BTS out as these sort of special, unique people and implying that everyone else is just terrible. And um, that bothers me because to it's, be frank yeah. i think some of their criticisms of the k-pop industry are valid right are. it yeah, is absolutely. true that um k-pop is overly restrictive of how uh they're allowed to talk not just to the media but to their fans so like right. there was an entire thing very recently about how like new jeans uh-huh. um even their fan sites can't talk to them i mean they're literally the same industry but completely different practices right so like that's very true the fact that BTS is able to have their own variety show literally because they were never invited to anything else. Mm, but um, they were invited, though. They were. Like, they used... On variety shows? They used to like, they used to appear on variety shows all the time before 2017 in the Big America push. Yeah. Because I... I would say that, like, my brother watches yeah. all of the really, really big ones, yeah. right? On the ones that he would watch, which are the, the really ginormous ones yeah. that, like, literally everyone watches they weren't that common of a mainstay but they but you know and how much of that too is just down to the company and like um you know that's not because on the company if you get if you get an invitation from wandojun like you don't no 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 i'm say no i'm also but i'm saying like there was the whole big scandal with glam and like the blackmail and you know how much of of that sort of trickled down um to bts you know do you want to invite the group whose company had the idols that were blackmailing people you know you could say that but also like this is the same industry that was dealing with like sungri and there's just so much (laughs) blackmail and everything behind there so i don't think anyone gives a shit no but they do give a shit or otherwise there wouldn't be blackmail right like so it comes down i think and i think this ties back to the johnny's thing too because i think it comes down a lot of this stuff to personal relationships you know and if you're if you if you have a personal relationship with somebody you know you invite those idols you invite you know if and and things like um so one thing that they they kind of briefly mentioned in the documentary was the um what would you call it blackballing or where you wouldn't invite you wouldn't invite people oh yeah they they mentioned it like very very briefly in passing yeah speaking of and it was so funny (laughs) that they mentioned that because i was just like every asian country does this like and it's not just every asian country every every country with a functioning entertainment industry does this so like i don't see anything weird it is a monopoly but that's just because it's a function of like how popular someone is right and that that it was kind of funny too because like he's talking about like oh well johnny's can stop anyone they want from appearing in whatever and then he uses a picture of an advertisement of katori shingo 
X map. <laughs> like, like as to be frank, you know, like, I'm it like took come on, the former SMAP members who were literally oh, like yeah. priority mainstays yeah, yeah, yeah. seven years to get back. Oh, to oh I know, position, I know, right? I know, I know. It was just kind of ironic though, because he's talking like <laughs> they're blackballed forever, and here is like a big picture of Shingo to, to illustrate that. Um, yeah, no, and and yeah, it it is. Uh, it, it is a shame and shameful that, that this happens. And, but again, like it wasn't it, like, I feel like it was only in the last, like what, 20, 25 years, maybe closer to 20 years that, that Johnny's could get away with doing this because, you know, they weren't always this massive, big popular company. Um, and they had a lot yeah. of lean years. And they kind of lost that power mm. literally in the past, like, four years it, yeah 100 100 percent. which like my co-host ronald likes to be like oh and that's how you know a monopoly never existed mm. and i'm like no it's because the monopoly broke up and actually it's ironic that we're talking about bts because like literally it's because of k-pop and like the third gen kitties winning yeah that like they lost that power Shimmy shimmy cocoa pop, I think I like it. Can jag and downtown, but good on my god. Oh, she don't mind, so can they get to the car? It's so kind of put it up, can they get bound to die? Could you and Bammy, yeah? Nari and Bammy, yeah? Chummer so goes up on your god, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, much is in a chick, yeah, yeah. You got her done, but not more sipping, not a eat your owner. interesting is the um so i've tweeted about it or have i um well anyway like there's there are um surveys that go out and i want to say it's line that does it where they they look yeah. at the popular i think it's a line survey is it the line yeah. survey it's like the popular boy groups and um they they break it down by age by sex by um and then by group and so you can see like who is the most popular boy group um and like what are the age mm-hmm. ranges and like blah 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 and if you go back and it's like all snowman now <laughs> but, well but here's the thing is that like so when it was uh, when it was arashi it was a huge they were like winners by a huge margin it was like you know 40 percent or 45 percent arashi was their most favorite boy group but in the last couple of years um so bts won but their their winning percentage was like six percent or something like it was like the biggest winner of those surveys was actually nobody in particular and i can link to the surveys um in the the show notes because they're pretty interesting reading but and i think that speaks to exactly what you're saying is that like so when you had arashi when they were active they were massively popular and yeah you could draw Mm -hmm. a lot of eyeballs to to whatever it is you're doing because a lot of people liked arashi but a yeah. lot of people like snowmen. Sure, I love snowmen. I'm not gonna say that you know they're not popular. They are, but they're not popular like Arashi was popular, 
and yeah, Odyssey was special. The, yeah, they were, and so and so were SMAP. Um, they were you know national boy groups, and Snowman's popular, but they're popular like a regular idol group is popular, which you know it's like a it's a subculture it's no, thing. It's no Odyssey and it's no AKB. Yeah, right? like yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't have a national hit. Mm-hmm. I think is what separates mm-hmm. them. Yeah, like the fact that BTS even gets up there is pretty it's yeah interesting because but it's the vacuum i and i think it's the same thing that i don't think it's here. a vacuum i think it's a vacuum so the reason why i don't think it's vacuum is because for a lot of reasons bts should not have succeeded in japan not least being that 2017 shirt scandal oh god like they should not have succeeded in japan when i usually help ronald do like the year-end list and like take a look at them and comment on them i was like how the fuck did they manage to recover from that and for people that don't know what happened was um so jimin um was photographed wearing a shirt that appeared to celebrate the hiroshima bombing because like this is a controversial point but it did end world war ii and so a lot of koreans kind of credit it with the end of the empire, right? Right. Which, if you're going to promote in Japan, is kind of a bad thing, Right. Right. Right, which it's... And yeah. I'm not going to argue whether or not this is right or wrong, right? Because it's it's complicated. It's a complicated topic. Yes. But that alone should have tanked someone's career. The fact that they managed to come back from that is in and of itself very impressive. The fact that they managed to come back from that as a Korean group. Yeah. In a country where being Korean is actually a pejorative mm. is even more impressive. So the fact that they're only winning by 6% means nothing to me. Like, <laughs> that's just kind of expected. But it was, you know, more or less banned from um, Music Station. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is the biggest music show um, in Japan still. And um, and, the, and it's understandable. Yeah, like, yeah. And, somebody wears that, you kind of don't want them ever back. Yeah, although they did, <laughs> they did appear on TV still. and um, But, you know, it's, I, I think more than anything else, and I think that shirt scandal kind of turned their attention from Japan and maybe made them double down more in the U.S. stuff because... Yeah, I th- I definitely yeah, think that Yeah, because happened. before, and I remember seeing them on Music Station Super Live in 2017 and being pretty impressed. Like, DNA is a great song. Yeah, and then it was like everything kind of fell apart. And, you know, they had been trying to speak Japanese and all that stuff and then just know um, every time you saw them after that, like... <laughs> Some of the worst Japanese I've heard from Korean idols. It was pretty, pretty, pretty <laughs> nah, bad. Nah, nothing, nothing beats like I am a, I am a. What's the term for Swanushida fans? I don't even know. But like, holy shit, they can't speak Japanese. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, well, it's funny now. Now you'll see like the the groups. Um, they all have like the Japanese speaking members. Like Treasure, I think, has done pretty well um with their yeah. yeah well my personal favorite uh uh twice you know <laughs> yeah i i personally credit them with like bringing k-pop back to japan mm. and i was actually a- uh asking patrick about it and i was like how the hell did they manage to pull this off and he's like because in japan they sell themselves 
as not K-pop, but as Japanese. And I'm like, oh, that would work. <laughs> Just don't remind people that you are that you are Korean. And like, that actually is a big plus. And then you end up with the groups like, um, well, I'm pretty fond of Kepler. And they have the Japanese speaking members. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, they're super cute. I love Kepler. Yeah, so it's, it is interesting. Like the, I mean, cause that's a huge market. It's right next door. Um, you can tour there. Like the infrastructure already exists. Like the fans are there. But you have to deal with the, with the down, the yeah. downside of yeah. the fact that like you are Korean and you're working in inherently hostile market. Yeah. But we're like the government will ban you on a moment's notice, which is exactly what happened in 2012. <laughs> but the the rewards, like it's one of those things where like the rewards, if you if you can get that loyal audience, like they're there. Um, because like Jejum, TVXQ's Jejum, like has a pretty steady career in Japan. Uh, and um oh, <laughs> oh i know him of the the dewy skin and like the glistening like eyes <laughs> but also oh, and, like um, beating up your fans every two years i guess like he shares that with sakurai show right <laughs> <laughs> well you know sometimes sometimes the fans just get a little too close i don't know about that uh... one chief <laughs> <laughs> So speaking of Sakurai show, like what I one of the things I thought was really funny was that in the documentary they used the footage of Sakurai show at New York Comic Con, which was a really funny story. Do you remember that taking place? Because I remember following that like in real time. Like I remember hearing about it, but I was already out of RSG fandom by that point. Oh, okay, yeah. And chasing after AKB48. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So I was I was out of that rabbit hole and in another one. <laughs> yeah, that was just a very funny event. Um, and what had happened was they had kind of invited him because he was um, promoting Yatterman, which was a um, a Mike film, one of the many that uh, he he did with idols. But um, yeah, and so they they invited him, and I think expecting he was going to bring fans, but I don't think they were expecting he was going to bring those hysterical fans so <laughs> so they could not have him out and they had to keep him like for his own safety like secured and above and so yeah you kind of see him waving there but there's like video footage contemporary video footage at the time yeah it was just a very funny pull to like demonstrate fans like really you're gonna pick hysterical fans penned in at new york comic-con from like 2009 like okay I actually would say, if we're going to talk about overseas Johnny's fandom, there is no point greater than... Than Arashi? I would say that, like, 2009 period, when literally all of the kids who had grown up on Pokemon, like myself, were just like, oh, I want to watch real dramas now. And we 
all promptly proceeded to download Hanayori Dango. <laughs> that is how a lot of, um, yeah, like it was all those drama adaptations of anime. Um, and yeah. I, cause I remember, and I've talked about this in other episodes, but like, cause that was all the Taiwanese dramas of the time too. Um, yeah. so you had, um, that's literally where you got the first one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And then they, they, they just got remade in different languages. So yeah, you're like, Ooh, I love honey or Dango. So I'm just going to watch the anime. Then I'm going to watch the many dramas and, um, yeah, you get hooked you, the theme songs and yeah it was like a whole big thing but yeah i think you're probably right like the high watermark was probably around that time like the um the hanayori dango movie and then yeah into yatterman and yeah like right around the arashi 10th anniversary that that feels that feels right to me it was so funny being there at the time just having to recite to myself i am a hanayori dango fan like 50 times in order to like copium myself to stomach all the racism in the movie (laughs) (laughs) you know they're just very it's a provincial i'll just say that they have a very provincial attitude towards a lot of race relations in other countries (laughs) can we say that is that nice and diplomatic well i would say it's kind of like every country is kind of navel gazy when it comes to these kinds of things and so Japan was just like, you know what? We can make a movie set in New York City with the most racist actor (laughs) in human existence. And then promptly forget that, like, it was super popular overseas, too. And so you just had, like, very, very sad female fans, like, high schooler female fans like me, just being like, I love Hana Yori Dango. And watching it through, like, very teary eyes, being like, I can't believe this. again like coming from like bollywood world too like i've i've seen this um there was kind of i think an infamous uh movie it came you know what i think it came out around the same time too called my name is khan that featured i think similar <laughs> similar uh tropes oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> to a kind of similar response uh from people in america um yeah, I can I can link that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's just really funny that like, just thinking back on it, yeah. I'm just like, hmm. <laughs> it is ironic that like, in general, idol coverage, I've always, because I've been following idols for a long time. I'm going to say like, now it's been about 23 years. And I think from a personal perspective, I just always kind of assume that, like, media coverage is always going to be shit. <laughs> yeah, and at a certain point, I think I accepted that as well. I used to get really kind of mad. I guess I still do. Um, <laughs> judging by my, like, like multiple posts on uh, this is Johnny's documentary. But it's, it really, I don't know, it's... <sighs> It's like, it, it it's like they have no respect really for for what idols do, and they're either trying to to make it into this weird exotic like, I don't know. Well, speaking of AKB, do you remember when um there was the whole like head shaving incident, and it made oh, it gosh. into the international everyone yeah, I made it into the Everyone international talks press. About it. Everyone brings it up. 
Yeah, but but as it was like this sort of weird, like foreign thing that like oh my god, like she shaved her head and it's just how like just I I I don't know, just the coverage felt very like definitely like weird Japan, like capital W capital J. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's that, but there's also just like because I was there for both. I was there. I've been a AKB fan. I want to say since like oh nine. So it's been, it's been one hell of a fucking ride, but like, I would argue that the funniest part about it all is just even today, like there's like this perception that like, here are how idol fans think. And I'm like, have you talked to one? (laughs) You know, honestly, you know, like we're, we're not, we're not, we're not that rare, (laughs) which is why I think. Going back to an earlier point, like that's actually why I think a lot of the BTS coverage feels different to me because mm. they actually talk to fans. Mm. Whereas, like in the past, even when they respected the artist, right? When they were writing about like Kangnam Style or whatever, yeah. not that size and idol, he isn't. Um, or like when they were writing about like Shiny or something, right? Like, they never talked to fans. They were just like, oh, look at these crazy girls, whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, and that was the coverage. The coverage of, and to be fair, um, the coverage wasn't always great. Because I remember um, seeing, oh, I got it. I want to say it was Onion AV Club, but they had, someone had like shared a link to um, Shiny's uh, Sherlock video when that came out. And the caption was something like, oh, you know what are they searching for the fact that they're all gay or it was something like that like that which you know i mean that was like the prominent <sighs> i want to say that was like 95 percent yeah of how people did. yeah and still continue to write yeah about k-pop yeah like on the off chance that they don't write like that it's literally because like the fact that army are so massive strikes the living fear of god into them yeah right (laughs) that is actually the only reason why they won't do that for bts because army strikes the fear of christ into all these i mean they they went after me pretty badly um for (laughs) and i was a fan at the time which is like the worst part Mm -hmm. um but yeah i i have yeah it's pretty scary when it happens to you very scary when it happens to you like i don't the the glowing coverage like out of fear yeah definitely a very strong uh, possibility
만 넣었을 걸 지겨 가을에 비친 내 얼굴을 꼼꼼히 살피고 지금은 8시 약속 시간은 8시 반 도도한 걸음으로 나선 이밤 I always tend to criticize like whether or not <laughs> people or armies come after me. Like that time when I was like, oh, I don't like Big Bang because of the Burning Sun scandal oh and s u n g w o o fans harassed me for a good like three weeks afterwards. I just <laughs> laughed about it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, stands can be pretty scary. That's um, whether it's, you know, Wendy or Marvel or Star Wars, whatever. Yeah. Oh, that's gosh. not that's again not unique to idol fans definitely not unique to idol fans well look at sports fans like sports fans just harass one of my vtubers into into hiatus granted like she kind of deserved it uh, <laughs> <laughs> because like you should not joke about like throwing a baseball at anyone's head oh. ever <laughs> yeah no that's that's not a but at the same time like these these sports fans are literally just like You should kill her, and I was like, "That's that's a little bit extreme, my man." <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but again, that's like the inter the internet can be a very nasty place, um, for sure, <laughs> for sure. But yeah, but those kinds of like jokey like articles, I, I I remember those as well. But like it was definitely, I mean, there was definitely positive coverage too. But yeah, in in between, you had like the John Seabrook. Like that, the Factory Girls piece, which was so creepy. Did, did yeah, you... I actually don't remember the positive coverage that much. Really, it, it was <laughs> yeah. it was there, but I I understand why why it wouldn't have stood out to you. Um, but it, it definitely was there because I I remember reading um reading it, you know, and but it was in like music focused. things and they, they it was like big bang and um carrie pemu pemu she's not k-pop but that was around the same time and um perfume and um it, it, yeah like on the chance that it existed mm. right because all the artists that you listed the way that they always framed it is the same way that they frame bts now mm. these acts are good but the rest of the industry is shit and so to me that's like nothing different yeah yeah fair fair enough Fair enough. Like, even when Carrie Pommy Pommy was asked, because she was uh, touring when the head shaving incident happened. Oh, was she? And, yeah. And she was, like, deliberately asked, like, how do you feel about this? And she's like, I'm not an idol, so I don't care. <laughs> That is true. That was her exact answer. Well, because... And I was just like, yeah. okay, thanks. Yeah. Like, fuck you. Like, <laughs> Carrie and, um, yeah, has always been like, yeah, she's not an idol. But again, like, yeah, the the disrespect to idols, it's something that, well, I mean, that's one of the whole reasons I wanted to even do this podcast um, in, in general was I got tired of seeing like idols dismissed as in the English press um, as just like these. I don't know, like puppets or like weirdos or, weirdos <laughs> or whatever. It, yeah, it was just very like. the coverage is not good and there's not a lot of understanding of what goes into it or where this stuff comes from and instead you know what we get are yeah like 
like overblown coverage of, of head shavings and Mo Bean like busting into the Johnny's and Associates lobby like he's like <laughs> cracking some scandal at common <laughs> ping pong like where are the boys in the basement show me the show me the boys in the basement <laughs> and it's just kind of like Johnny's has been dead for three years like uh <laughs> We're, we're trying to change and he's like but show me the boys in the basement and i'm like oh oh <laughs> like the long the long suffering kai i mean just like can you please leave like <laughs> sir this is this, a, is, this is private a Wendy's? property <laughs> yeah like literally that meme but it's also just that like any chance for a nuanced discussion of this topic yeah. is just properly like destroyed yeah, right yeah. even just talking about like idols more broadly mm. i remember talking to not just patrick well actually did patrick ever mention why he started his like akb is everything thing no but it's a great uh it's a great theory like that's one of the first things i found of his um like on his Substack, and I was like, "Oh, he understands everything." <laughs> I don't want to say that I directly caused it, but there was like a period of time where the only interaction the two of us would have would be him posting something about like AKB like one number one this week, and like at the time, he and a lot of the people at Japan Times, their writing about AKB was very dismissive. Mm. And I would literally pull out these like pages of data. I was one of those fans, right? Where I would pull out 50 pages of data and be like, actually, you're wrong. <laughs> no, okay, okay. Well, that actually clears something up for me because for a long time, I basically just ignored all of those writers of Rich Japan Times because um, I remember this article that they posted that was like it, it boiled was it the SKE one? No it boiled down to sexy zone should do drugs like that was like the oh. argument do you remember that? I'll try to I'll try to find it. No, I have it linked somewhere, it was... but it was something like, "How come they keep making this cheesy pop music? They should do psychedelics and explore like wacky stuff." It was so it was like just such like the the dumbest kind of most reductive like clearly you know it wasn't serious but just showing like just zero understanding of what it is sexy zone does or or you know or like what they did like at the time i think marius was still like 14 and i'm like really you want like you're you're writing a a, a post that like this 14 year old kid should be like doing mushrooms like rethink your life my dude like <laughs>
led to Ronald actually getting hired at the Japan Times. And I was like super shook. Because Ronald and I used to fight about like 48G all the time. The reason why we're friends, very ironic that half of my like J pop writer friends uh, was because of this, was because I used to chase him around and be like, no, you're wrong. This music is actually good. Fuck you. It, they are actually popular. <laughs> right? And like the tipping point, I think, for him was that um, Ian Martin was like, oh, like, SKE is a sham and they should just, like, have this pipeline. Like, fans should just build an IV drip from their wallets directly into Occupy's pocket. And, like, his example was SKE using music cards. And that infuriated Ronald to no end because he was just like, okay, they didn't even invent this strategy. That is an LDH special. And he went on this rant. And I guess, like, somebody at the Japan Times is just like, would you like to write for us? Like, we need more pop, yeah, happy people. Yeah. But on a more broader thing, I think that's, like, the cultural insensitivity that you're thinking of. Going back to the documentary, one of the things that I found really, really disturbing was just that, like, the parent comment was just brushed off. He was just like, oh, these parents are insane. They're just money hungry. And I was just like... Well, it's because Japan's welfare state is a piece of shit. So, like, the only way these kids eat is to become idols. Well, that's and that is something that, yeah, you're right. He does brush right over it because um, anyone from she just doesn't understand. No, and, well, and anyone familiar with some of the origin stories of some of these Johnnies, you know, they did come from very modest backgrounds, a lot of single mothers. Um, well, like I just said, Kita Koji, who wrote the um, infamous book in um, 1988, you know, he had was essentially a runaway, had um, run off to Tokyo to be a star. But um, before that, like, had been working at a factory, you know, um, like, <laughs> and it's not very, just him. Like, it's not no. like a long ago story. No, it's not. Like, literally. Mm -hmm. Like, Taki, Takizawa, like, Takizawa had, yeah. um, uh, I think Nakai. Nakai. Nakai used to tell stories oh, about Nino? like Cher Nino Mia. Nino. I think a lot. Like Yamashita. Uh, V6. Like all of V6, <laughs> I think. All of V6. The majority of Arashi mm. minus Sakurai. Mm. Because Sakurai was like literally political royalty. Yeah. Turned an idol. Well, he was, he was, um, he was a rebel. He was rebelling. He was a rebel. He was a, what, but he also he got the belly still went ring? to KO. <laughs> <laughs> the long forgotten I mean, like, ring. but yeah like the majority of these idols especially on the girl side even uh actually, in the documentary ren says as much that his parents or his mom was like yeah like whoa we could make this much money and even then the fact that he's working as a host does not speak to him having a ton of uh you know social access because yeah. you still get paid yeah as a as a junior yeah. i mean yeah you do. it's not like a lot mm. but you know it's enough you can you can save quite a bit and like it's just one of those things where like when ian wrote that in the japan times my immediate thinking was like oh so like you have no appreciation for the fact that like for half of the girls in this group their family lives off of this income. Yeah, like it, it's not just like, oh, I want to be a star. 
I mean, it is, it's a paycheck. And, you know, you can go back to Hollywood too. Like, well, that's why we have the pool rich law. Yeah. yeah um, that, like, we literally hmm. in the United States, for those who are not aware, if you have a child working in entertainment, you must legally put aside 15% of their earnings uh, into a special trust fund oh, but it, that the US government actually audits. It doesn't apply to musicians, though, I think. I don't. Uh, I think it might apply to all really? entertainers. Okay. Now. Yeah. Because I want to yeah, say, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll if if I can find the the relevant stories and I remember, I'll link them in the um the yeah. show notes because I want to say that this like I just was reading. Oh, you know who it was? It was the Ooh. um the uh, Cowsills. The Cowsills were a f- ah. they were a family band active in the '60s, and they're a piece of shit father um and and took all took, the money took all the money uh-huh they were left with nothing like nothing they had earned like millions of dollars and were left with nothing yeah and unfortunately that story is like super common yeah, yeah. i mean some of these kids definitely do come from money mm-hmm. right like my own personal favorite uh keakizaka 46 like turned into hinatazaka like they are there used to be running jokes about how rich their families all were, right? But that is the exception. That's not the norm. Because the social welfare system is so shit, like a lot of kids do go into entertainment just to help provide. <laughs> I want to say that it's become different in um, K-pop just because there's become a little bit more of a glamour industry associated with it. So then you do get these wealthier kids I going into it. Not all of them by any means. Don't know. But, um, because now there, you know, you get the luxury brand deals, you get the um, all that stuff, which wasn't necessarily true like, you know, 15 years ago. I think it's actually because of the fact that, like, in K-pop, you just don't get upfront payments. Mm, that that is the main difference. That too. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Right? Like, yeah. You, can't, you can't get an immediate paycheck like you do in J-pop. And so, by default, that actually roots out a lot of the poor people. Because they financially cannot afford... Well, they can't afford the lessons. They can't afford... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they don't pay for the lessons. The lessons are set against, like, future earnings, right? right? But they can't afford the loss of a 16-year-old at a K-pop school when they could be working at a convenience store mm-hmm. somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit different, for sure. I would say 
in K-pop, what you get a lot more is like, Korea is not nice as a society to people who are not book smart, right? And so what you get instead are the kids who couldn't do well at school, where the parents just go, well, if you can't do well at school, focus on your looks and you can become an idol instead. That's pretty harsh. <laughs> that is pretty harsh. That's that's kind of like the world that we're dealing with, right? And that in turn is exactly why idols are popular because they provide an escape from all of that. Yeah. And it's something that like a lot of Western commentators, whether we're talking about like the Japan Times or Mobin, they just don't appreciate. Or they, you know what, they'll they'll be dismissive about it and they'll say like, oh, my oh, K-pop support boys, haha. Um, when yeah. I personally know people who, you know, not to be overly uh, dramatic about it, but I, I know people and, you know, I would include myself in this who idols have helped them get through very tough times. And yeah. that's a, and I would also put myself yeah, there And that's a, the big world of difference between that and being like d the dismissive jokes about like K-pop support boys. I mean, obviously it can become uh, pathological. You know, you don't want to be, <laughs> you know, you don't want to be too dependent. Yeah. You don't want to be. It's like morphine, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Where you don't want to overuse it and you don't want to improperly use exactly. it. But it definitely exists because these societies have developed at an incredible speed, at incredible odds. And unfortunately, like, you know, it comes at a terrible human cost. And this is just how people have learned to cope with it. I don't know. Like, there are some beautiful relationships between idols and fans. I'm thinking of uh, Saijo Hideki who was a, um, an idol from the 70s into the 80s, 90s. But um, I've become friendly with some of his fans, um, ladies in their, their 50s. But um, yeah, like he, just watching some of the older documentaries on him and the way that he has connected with his fans. I mean, even now, you know, they, they hold very fond memories of him. And it's... Um, it's one of those things that, like, you don't want to be dismissive of it because this is a, a real love and affection for this man who, I mean, he's passed away now, but, you know, it's, it's, it's lasted all of these decades. Like, they still, they still love him. And there's something really kind of beautiful about that, you know? この僕と共に歩いてと無茶をいたあの日恐れなどまるで感じないで激しさがあると信じた立ち止まることも許さずに
I would actually use AKBs um, in their third stage. There is a special song that does not get performed very often. And it's because it's actually a tribute song in uh, Female Idol Land. There's this position called Top Otaku or Top Woda, where like it's kind of like the fan who is always there, right? Whether they cheer the loudest or they help other people out or like they organize the birthday committees or whatever, like in some way, they just happen to be there a lot. And there was somebody who was there at the very beginning and unfortunately he passed away due to cancer. And as a tribute song to him, they wrote a special song in one of their theater stages in memory of this man, right? And it's only, it's only been performed, I think, three times. And the original performance was by this man's two favorites, right? So, like, that to me is kind of how idols and fans, like, can positively build off of each other. But again, it's very much this feeling of, like, this is an incredibly, like, harsh world. And, like, you need some some support sometimes. And sometimes people just use idols for that. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, there are definitely... Uh there are dark sides, you know, but I think those get dwelled on way too much. Although I just rewatched um, Perfect Blue. Have you, have you seen that? I love Satoshi Kon. Yeah. But he wasn't an idol fan. <laughs> no, he, he wasn't. He wasn't. Um, but what I find fascinating about that movie is just the, the separation of sort of the person and, and the idol, right? And I think that, I think that's something I don't know, like we, we forget about that there is a person behind the idol and there is like the idol can exist sort of on, on their own. And, you know, these, these fans of, um, Saijo Hideki, like, you know, they never knew him personally, but they, they treasure that, that idol, that memory, that, that, um, image, you know? It's kind of funny that you mentioned that he focuses on the separation, right? Because... That is something that I would say, particularly for female idols, is basically not existent anymore. Really? Um, you know how you were talking about how BTS sold themselves on like closeness and everything? Yeah. So that's actually something that comes more from like the Morning Musume to AKB pipeline. Where Morning Musume was kind of an exaggeration of like stereotypes about idols. And then AKB just kind of took that to its logical extreme. To the point where some idols actually, with both within and outside of the group, would complain that like everybody and their mother was putting up all their dirty laundry for the entire world to see. Right? Uh, yeah. Now I'm heavily involved with the VTuber fandom. So like people would be like, oh, idols never talk about anything. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I just went to a show where like one of the girls is notorious for going on Tinder as soon as she gets off stage. <laughs> and, like, she would literally ask fans, like, where do I hook up with guys? Oh like, that gosh. is that is a question she asks. That's so funny. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But, like, this is the kind of closeness yeah. that we have. <laughs> well, a lot of that, I want to say, um, is facilitated, at least in recent years, by things like, um, yeah, like Instagram Lives and Live and... Um, Weaver's lives, you know all that. I don't know. Really, it, it was way before no, that. No, it like, was. AKB it was. did that on flip phones. No, but right? I'm, I'm just saying that, like in recent years, 
like it's kind of mag like it's boomed like that kind of interaction has boomed nakamori akina was also very frank to all of her fans And and Seiko, when she was cheating on people, like everyone knew. <laughs> right. You'd have the idol on her shining stage. And then depending on who they were, they could either be like, oh, we're going to separate everything like super well. Like, you know, Honda Minako was. <laughs> Which is exactly why Honda Minako, by the way, hated Nakamori to death. Or you'd have a Nakamori who, like, as soon as she was cheated on, she had, like, five songs about it. <laughs> so I would say on the guy side, perhaps you had more of that separation. Yeah. But on the girl side, it was always, like, a tricky thing. And now it's, like, being open about everything and anything is the game. <laughs> but again, like, how much of that is... is um stage and how much of that is yeah because we were talking about it in um my last episode but there was i want to say was it miley cyrus there was just some there was some article that came out oh she's leading fans into looking for clues to her personal life and you know taylor swift has sold herself on that for like you know 15 years or whatever and you know how much much of that is like how much (laughs) of that closeness is real and how much of it is sort of staged I, I think we still. I think even the closeness can be an act. I'm not saying it is, but I'm oh, saying yeah. it, it for sure. Yeah. But then, like that gets into like very, very uncomfortable questions of like how much of your personal connection with friends mm. is like real or staged? Yeah, right? no, it's true. Like, do you do you actually know? Mm. Um, I think it leads to some very uncomfortable questions, but at the same time, it's also just like oh, it's also just fun. It's also just fun yeah. to like follow cheating scandals. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is. It it just is. Um, yeah. I mean, who whom amongst us does not like yeah, like read the gossip columns. Let he who does not read the tabloid magazines yeah. cast the first yeah. stone. I mean look, I I'll that that's what I read when I'm uh flying, I'll pick up an inquirer. Like that's where all the good stuff is. <laughs> I think I was lonely.
There's also just the question of like, how does it change people when like you have to sell this closeness, but you never receive it?、Mm. Yeah. Or if you take on too much of it and you take on too much of the, the fan pain, you know, because people write letters to these idols or will say very personal stuff,、mm-hmm. it, which you may have no context for. Like, how do you,、yeah. you know, how do you handle that? I mean, it's, it's a tough, like, being an idol is like a tough skill set. I mean, not only do you have to, like, sing and dance and perform, but you have to, you know, be like, A therapist to your fans and, and or, you know, like、um, provide them with some distraction and entertainment, or what, you know, what do they want from you? I mean, you have to, and while, all while looking gorgeous, you know? And you're putting this on a 16 year old. Yeah, you're putting, who, who、uh, needs to feed their family? <laughs> so, whose mom is depending on、so、that's them? A, that's a lot. That's a lot. I think, like, Just from an ethical standpoint, it's really, it's really complicated. Cause like, you don't want to be like, you can't do this. But at the same time, it's also just like, is this really okay? Which is why personally, I'm very happy that like everyone's debuting later and later. Yeah. Please. Yeah. More 30 year old idols. Fewer 12 year old idols, like for the love of God. Yeah. <laughs> but it, like, but, New Jeans,、mm. I'm, I have a complicated relationship <laughs> with New Jeans. If you want it, you can get it. If you want it, Nemo, sorry, it's the killer job boy. They're 12. I know. It's, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, that was like, I want to say that was one of the, it, that was the last group that Johnny personally put together and debuted. I th- was Sexy Zone, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that、mm-hmm. also had Marius, who was 12. Yeah. That, that, that group. They, they had some, some tough times, but you know, they made it through. They're four members now, but you know, <laughs> it's all good. It's okay, they're continuing, they're they're continuing, continuing. activities. And、uh, they put out, I think, some of the best music in Johnny's.、Uh, I might be more on Heisei Jump's sign. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not a Heisei Jump fan.、Um, <laughs> but yeah, that. The,、uh, Yeah, no, they, they have some good tunes too, but yeah. Yeah.、Uh, it's different. Yeah, it's, it's different. a different, a different style. It's, it's an interesting world,、um, idols and, and, and idol culture. And I really enjoy it.、Um, but I think like the role that, that people like, you know, you and me play in kind of what transmitting like fan, like, Fan lore or fan good fan manners and like fan habits, and and at least that's co- that's how I've come to see like what I what I do or what I'm trying to do. I mean, I think that's one of the few ways we can kind of at least try to help mitigate some of the harsher aspects of of this world. I think it's difficult to say for me because what I really do is I transmit information.、Mm. And I kind of provide commentary. And the main reason for that is that I think, in a very real sense, like every fan culture is different, right? Like the fan culture of Love Live is not the fan culture of like AKB. And like the fan culture of AKB is nothing like Nogizaka's, for example. They're, they're like slightly different. I, want, I don't want to say they're completely different, but they're not the same. It's interesting to see how everyone has kind of related to them, some upsides and some downsides, I would say. But I am there to say, like, 
I think this is good, and I think this is bad. If Love Live fans could stop, like, punching each other and strangling each other at lives, like, that would be great. But it's also just that, like, I can't really tell them what to do. Because every every idol fandom kind of finds that out on their own. Mm. Like, what what proper fan behavior means to them. Yeah, I guess I kind of see myself at least, you know, being able to have conversations, you know, with fans who have been around a while, at least opens up a space to like, hear, hear different opinions and different thoughts. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's different. And how different people do different how different things. people do different like, things. Yeah, it's, it's funny to see how much idol culture has changed, even within the perspective of like the overseas idol fandom because mm. it's it's very much like like overseas idol fandom is actually extremely new but i would say like the largest part is never covered <laughs> no one no one talks about love life <laughs> <laughs> said the um the new fans coming in a lot of them are coming from these k-pop spaces and they do things differently so i've noticed that like some of the newer um fans of like snowman they Mm want they want to stand like they stand um whoever they're you know whatever k-pop group that they were interested in before whether like got seven or or whoever like that's that so they they want to stream they want to buy it's been interesting um having these fans and focusing them in on how things were done or how things are done you know or traditionally been done but then also getting that kind of new energy and be like oh well maybe we can stream like the mv like yeah <laughs> when it comes out <laughs> like oh okay like 50 million times like you know, sometimes they have a point. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, why not? Like, yeah, sure. I'll throw, I'll throw a few like extra views uh, to the new snowman. Like, why not? Like, what's it gonna hurt? Yeah, and yeah. like in a very real way, I think one of the things that I credit, at least, like, I want to say specifically, the third gen K-pop groups, because you didn't really see this for the previous generations because like I was into all of them I have a favorite probably from like every generation but I want to say the third gen kitties are like very energetic in a way that I see for nothing else Mm. 
The closest I think I could compare them to is when I was heavily participating in like the voting antics for AKB. That is the closest I can get to like comparing them to anybody else in terms of like passion and like trying to cheer on their faves. Well, there, there, right? there is something to that like voting like and and that participatory angle because that around that time of third gen is around the time when all these chart music shows really 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 took off with the voting and streaming and so i mean i think there i think you're on to something i think that 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 there is something to that like you really get that buy-in when you are voting for your fave like you want your fave to win yeah but it's also like you participate in their success yes. in a way that I think no other like generation of K-pop really got to do that. Mm. And I want to say that's a big reason why AKB48 succeeded. That like as terrible as those fucking elections were, <laughs> part of the reason why they did so well is because fans felt like they could see a direct correlation between like what they did and the outcome for their favorite. Yeah, like oh, that there is like the more CDs you bought, like that had a direct impact. And that's pretty powerful, you know? So you see it now with like the the streaming, like if you can stream and and see that impact, that's a pretty powerful feeling like for you as a fan. For sure, but I also think it's just that like they were able to go from just participating in those music shows because even now you still have those music shows right yeah you were able to go from those music shows to like actually go one step further and like actually turn into an evangelist yeah for your faith yeah right because that is something that they do wow you guys are really passionate <laughs> what the, what the... <laughs> yeah yeah have you heard the good news about got seven like yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, whoa. Like, <laughs> I've also heard this like 50 times, but still, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, my guest on, I want to say, I forget which episode number it was, but uh, um, Mika, uh, she's an academic uh, fan. She's now studying in Seoul, but um, she talks about like the conversion experience and um, as part of fandom you know, and how powerful that is. And, and it's true. Yeah. And you know, that that conversion experience, and when you have one, um, as a fan, I mean, not everyone does. But um, for those of us that have had those conversion experiences, like, you remember it. And I like, I remember, um, I was watching, I think it was um, like the summer, like FNS, like one of those big specials. Um, and <laughs> I saw uh ABCZ for the first time this was 2013 and it just like it like hit me like a bolt from uh, from the heavens like I was like oh oh okay like I am a fan um and like that was it like that I had the conversion experience like like uh was it like Paul on the road to Damascus like I was just struck like yeah <laughs> Jimmy was 
救われたんだよだから遠慮なんていらないのさ Have you read Idol Burning yet? No, I haven't.、Um, but I,、uh, I've seen about it, and it is in my cart on Amazon along with、uh, Nishikiori's like,、uh, memoir that just came out. I would definitely suggest it because I think it's probably. It's probably the only good writing on idols I have ever seen in my entire life. So that's saying a lot because I have, I've read a lot and it's all shit. Yeah, a, a lot of it is.、Um, yeah. Yeah. I've, when I was writing like my idol history series and digging through、um, what was available, what was available was pretty terrible.、Um, although there were a handful. Of there were some good ones. There were some academic good articles, but I feel like a lot of those, like there was a really good one from a Korean a Korean academic in was one of the, the UC,、um, but she had written like about sort of first gen fandom、um, as a first gen fan herself, and that was that was really good. Yeah. But those those kinds of like in depth, those pieces, tend to be like, they're, they're hard to find. <laughs> They're hard to find, but it's usually written by someone who is a fan、yeah. and is writing as a fan from the perspective. Yeah. 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 You very rarely ever see it from somebody who is not a fan、mm. and like decides to write about it. Yeah. I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's just like、uh, idols are just not considered important by,、yeah. by most, <laughs> most people. <laughs> Which, you know, fair enough. It is like the entertainment industry. Not everyone's obsessed with it. But I, yeah, it, it does mean that you're right. Like the, the kind of like good in depth writing on idols is pretty rare. By pretty rare, you mean it doesn't exist? It doesn't. Like... It, yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it was... yeah. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And、um, it's the same reason that there's like very little. Worthwhile written on like boy bands, you know, it's <laughs> the same kind of、uh, just very dismissive aspect. Dismissive aspect, yeah, 100%. The, the people that write seriously about music aren't interested.、Um, people that write seriously about culture, like, would rather be writing about, you know, Dogma 95 or、um, yeah. some like serious something that they deem important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which then begs like, How do you categorize what is important and what isn't important? Yeah, I mean, it's important to us, you know. I guess it just means、uh, we'll have to write the big book on it. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. But I also wonder if it's like there's that categorization of like crazy female fan. Oh,、uh, yeah. Yeah. That yeah, helps yeah. like dismiss it. And I always scream at my co host whenever he. Mentions that because I'm like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's that is a pretty poisonous、um, stereotype. it It's it's one of those things where, like, there is some truth to it, but it's also a very dismissive way of 
dealing with these fan objects that are very beloved by mostly women and who like the fan culture in some of these arenas is just to like scream your head off like that's like that's but it's always like been deeply ironic to me that like the majority of journalists and writers out there probably self-identify as very very marxist right Mm. like somewhere on the lefty spectrum and i always go like you guys are marxist and you say all these things but like the moment a true opiate to the masses comes out you guys just dismiss it immediately Mm. and i'm just like wow (laughs) guess you didn't pay attention in class (laughs) (laughs) one of the things that um that i've found like just deeply fascinating is like all of these um yeah like you know alleged marxists are so dismissive of like mass culture like you know you're you want to be like these these like people of the people and yet you're so dismissive of things that like ordinary people are interested in yeah you know and ordinary people use to function in everyday life because i think at the heart of it all i think just like as somebody who shares their sentiments right is that here is this thing that very much proves just how broken our society is that like so many people have this affinity And this goes back to why I think it's not just necessarily like a vacancy that helps Mm. people like move into K-pop or J-pop or whatever, but literally that they find this thing that they can use as an alternative to like drugs or whatever to help them function in everyday life. And like, this sounds a little bit overblown, but like when you talk to idol fans and see, how do you guys use idol music? How do you guys use like, how do you guys use like, Oshikatsu, right? Like, even in VTubers, like, how do you guys view your relationship with VTubers, right? A lot of people will say, like, when I have a very hard day, I I turn on 15 BTS songs and suddenly I feel better, right? Or, like, I'll read my favorite AKB48 members' blog and I'll feel better, right? Well, and it also gives you, if you're in a very dark place, it can also give you a reason to make it through the week. Um, and yeah. not to be, you know, again, like not to be like histrionic about it, but if you're like, if you're just at the end of like, you've, you've just had, like, you're just in the pits, like everything sucks. Like the, you, you're in a dead end job. Like you just see no reason, like everything is just the worst, but knowing that you have like, whether it's, um, if I can just make it to the concert date, if I can just make it to, yeah you know some big event that's happening or the single release is coming out and I really want to hear it and it it just gives you a a, a goal pull like a goal post mm-hmm. like can I can just make it through to this concert and you know that's just a step like I can just make it you know yeah that's literally how idol fans think yeah. which is actually exactly why I liked idol burning so much that it was able to communicate that so well mm-hmm. Where basically the TLDR, the novel, is that it's this girl who doesn't quite fit into her school or anywhere functionally. She's not able to study that well. And it's about her relationship with her, both her idol and her fandom and her internal monologue of like how this impacts her. And even if it is more on the extreme side, 
it is functionally how a lot of people kind of relate to both idols, but also just like music in general. For the longest time, people have used music as a way of like just taking their mind off of stressful stuff. And the fact that all these like journalists and academics are so dismissive of it makes me laugh all the time. Because I'm just like, here is your proof that real world sucks. And like, you're just like, haha, histrionic people. Yeah, yeah. And there, I also think too that like a lot of people writing on music just don't understand anything about music. Um, because the number <laughs> of times like I've seen music reviews that like will talk about lyrics and they don't mention anything else or um, sort of these very like trite descriptions of like the song like it's just very like clear to me that that a lot of people just have no idea what they're writing about and um, yeah again like no respect for music like no respect for pop music like no respect for um for anything really just yeah it's like well let me get this out real quick and then i'll go back to you know wanking off about whatever because like going back to ian again i'm sorry i'm picking on ian so much but you know <laughs> that might have been his, his writing was too funny <laughs> I want to say to not about. I'm going to look this up uh, I want to say he was the one that wrote the sexy zone drugs he probably was <laughs> hold on I'm googling it right now <laughs> it was like sexy zone drugs uh, Japan <laughs> times <laughs> my search <laughs> oh yeah here we go uh, 2014 May 27th Ian Martin forget oh <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Forget drugs. Monotony is the real threat to Japan's music industry. Yep. 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 Oh God. Yeah. I'm sorry. Wait, look, You're too easy to pick. <laughs> on. Wait. Let me read the first paragraph. Japan has a drug problem. Everywhere you look, from the creepy teen host club pop of Sexy Zone to the soft rock balladry of Ikimono Gakari, children are being exposed to music that has been made with no obvious influence from drugs whatsoever. <laughs> I'll link I'll link this in the show notes. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> mhm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. yeah, that's that's that is what you're getting. So, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But like in a very real way, it's so funny because we've we've talked a little bit, but like he self-proclaims himself as like a leftist. And I'm like, well, if you're a leftist, you should understand that like people really need some way of handling the stress from everyday life. Mm. Right. But this like completely flies past him. I'm like, think about how bubblegum pop makes people feel. <laughs> this is not rocket science. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's true. And again, it's like, it's that the math, the idea of like this mass culture. And um, so like, you know, when I was super duper into uh, Bollywood and um, a lot of the, like, like the big tent pole, like um, Masala films were dismissed by like some of the um, 
the more like you know quote unquote serious critics is like oh time waster yeah. like oh it doesn't say anything important i just it is kind of ironic though that like <laughs> when when an indian film song does like make it all the way to the oscars it's like from one of these like big like <laughs> these big like mass films you watch like rr and i go i immediately understand why americans like it mm. and like my film critic friends are like why like this such shit and i'm like this is a shonen jump comic yeah. as a movie yeah. yeah and it makes you feel good it makes you feel good like and it's awesome like yeah like, i think that maybe we just went through 3 years <laughs> of some of the most devastating shit to ever happen yeah. to mankind in recent history and you don't understand why escapism might be a little bit popular to people right now. You know what? I think that's it. I think a lot of these more like serious critics or a lot of like they just don't understand stuff that's awesome. And like <laughs> like you want to see like an awesome song done by like awesome dancers and it's just like big and huge and loud and uh it just like is it's just awesome. Like, it's just cool. Like, yeah. it's it makes you feel good. And yeah. You listen to that song and you feel like you can make it through another day. Yeah. Like, maybe you too can also become, like, the main character of your own little RRR film. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, that is fundamentally why people liked it. Like, work now is probably worse than it used to be before. Because at least before, you can, like, you know, chill with your coworkers at the fucking cooler. Granted, you don't need to commute anymore. But... There's a lot more social alienation now than ever before because you're probably working from home. If you're a white collar worker, if you're a blue collar worker, like your your life just sucks. It has always sucked, <laughs> right? But like you're just slogging through work. You probably have less social connections than before, and all of a sudden, this like great Bollywood film is available for free on Netflix, and it's literally the best of. I would actually say like pan-Asian entertainment as one film, mm. right? Because you have that like shonen jump, like cartoony character arc. You have these people fighting against like the 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 dreaded like oh, yeah. colonists. The dreadal- yeah, the dreaded colonials, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like my brother turned to me as he was watching yeah. and was like, Do Indian people really hate the British or something? And I'm like, <laughs> I thought history was your best. Oh my god! Your best subject. I could, I could have a whole episode just talking about uh, all the evil white people in Indian movies. <laughs> we are, we are legion. It's yeah, it's pretty great. <laughs> it's great, but like, you know, you had this like feel good film. It's super comedic. It's super lighthearted, and then at the apex scene, you get this super feel good song, mm. and I'm like. Man, this is the shit. <laughs> yeah, it's great. And yeah, and I think that, um, I mean, maybe that's, you know, kind of the note we can end on, which is that like, you know, in in 
2023, like we don't have to rely on outlets like the BBC and, um, you know, these other sort of legacy media to like tell us like, oh, this is what an idol is. This is what Japanese entertainment is. Like you can just go online and like find it for yourself. And I think more to the point, like escapism is good. I mean, definitely do it in moderation, right? We're talking about RR, we're talking about idols, like don't go too overboard. The, The joke that we used to end on, on this one podcast that I used to do with a couple of AKB fans was, Please don't mortgage your house yeah. to vote for your favorite idol. Granted, there was a dude who actually ended up spending part of his like inheritance on it because he just had fuck you money at the end. And he managed to get his girl to number nine. Oh uh, don't be that guy unless you really have no other expenditures. Yeah. In which case, like, Godspeed. <laughs> well, I would say don't be that guy. But if you are that guy, have a plan for uh, recycling those CDs. <laughs> <laughs> well, she did. She oh, did. Okay, she okay, did. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we always, we always were like, please don't be that one AKB fan that lands us on the news yet again, <laughs> because you decided to throw this shit out. Those are all, in the mountains. Those are my favorite stories. I actually, I translated I a little article from forever ago about they'd found like all those boxes in the the woods. <laughs> and it was really funny it was like um the article was like what do uh idol fans do with their cds when they're done with them and it like interview like they interviewed fans talking about like their strategies for like throwing them away and this one guy was like well i tried throwing them all out at once one time but they wouldn't take them so now i break them down <laughs> into like these little like i only do like 20 at a time um yeah it was pretty my strategy is to throw the cds and like jewel cases Mm -hmm. into a shredder oh okay right because you it breaks them down and then you can throw it then they don't know it's cds (laughs) (laughs) right Uh (laughs) like if you're a if you're a k-pop fan you have 45 cds that you're trying to get for a fan sign like make sure that you sell those 45 off (laughs) well that's what yeah i mean and if you are like a fan or let's just say you're not a fan yet but uh you are interested because of of things like this uh it's pretty easy to find like if you don't care about things like photo cards um you can find they're so cheap cds yeah there used to be the joke that like during election season all the book offs and like secondhand stores in japan would put up signs being like yeah we do not accept AKB CDs at this time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they all knew to like exactly name that they would not accept this one CD. Yeah, yeah. So if you are an like an aspiring fan, find yourself someone who's already a fan and say, "I will take your leftover CDs or at least one yes, of them." Yes. And you will have a best friend. <laughs> Yes, because you're doing us a favor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, whether it's so whether it's AKB or uh, K-pop, um, yeah, as long as any yeah. any idol culture mm-hmm. thing, they'll be happy to to give you a, a. Just think of it. Just think of it as a taste. It's just a ta- the first one's free. Yes. The first one's free. <laughs> the first one of everything is free. Like, <laughs> if you are if you're listening to this and you want to understand uh, why K-pop CDs are great. Find yourself a Twice fan 
because we just finished yet another fan sign. And I guarantee you the Twice Veils all have like 50 CDs you need to get rid of right now. <laughs> so there you go. That That is your homework. If you are an aspiring idol fan, find yourself a Twice yes. fan, get yourself a CD. And uh, yeah, join us. Join us in this uh, exciting subculture because it is a lot of fun. And you know, there. And escapism is good. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. Don't listen to the BBC. <laughs> don't listen to the BBC. Um, not to be dismissive, you know, his victims deserved far better than that documentary. Yeah, than that shithole of a documentary. Ugh. But also, like, don't listen to Pitchfork. Don't listen no. to Metacritic or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like, I actually like a lot of the stuff that they like, but I do not share their dismissal of escapism because you know what? Like, escapism is good. And I understand that it is actually a very, very critical way mm. that people kind of like try to deal with the shit that they're dealt every day. So don't listen to them. Yeah. And they also, those writers, a lot of times don't understand what it is they're writing about. And so they may uh, be positive about something, but a lot of times like they they don't understand the whole idea of like the choreography is part of the song like the um costuming is part of the song like uh the like the theme or whatever like there's a lot that goes into a comeback or um a new single that goes just beyond like the actual song itself and if you if you're if you're reading someone that doesn't understand that like yeah the choreography is an important part of this then their opinion's not worth anything and there's also just the fact that like as much as people shit on stuff like light novels and superhero movies and whatever like at the end of the day that is the stuff that gets you through the day and that's if that's what gets you through the day like it is it's valuable yeah yeah, it is. So fuck that. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the perfect note to end on. Um, yeah. Is there a song you'd like to go out on, or you know what? Let's Kiyaki let's Saka? end on a concept. Okay, a concept. Song. Okay, let's end on Silent Majority. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was literally gonna suggest that. <laughs>
しく生きていく自由があるんだ大人たちに支配されるな初めからそう諦めてしまったら僕らは何のために生まれたのか夢を見ることは時には孤独にもなるよ誰も